I, I really want to talk about Wuppertal and the. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna mess this up, but it's the Schwabobahn. Schwabobahn. <laughs> Schwabobahn. Yes. Schwabobahn. Yeah. German, my, yeah. My only German word I came back from the trip with it. Empowering cities, forging a transatlantic dialogue. Does Germany struggle with its unhoused populations the same way as cities in the United States do? What can the U.S. learn from Germany when it comes to improving public transportation? And is there a Schwabobahn on the horizon for cities like Austin? In the third episode of our series, Empowering Cities, our guests will discuss what they learned from their travels through Germany and the United States. So, Empowering Cities is part of our project, New Urban Progress, a transatlantic dialogue on how to make cities more innovative, green, and for all. This dialogue took place over two international trips, four conferences, and 10 cities. The project is made possible by a joint metro initiative of Das Progressive Zentrum, the Alfred Hehausengesellschaft, and the Progressive Policy Institute, supported by the Transatlantic Program of the Federal Republic of Germany and funded by the European Recovery Program of the Federal Ministry for Economic Affairs and Climate Action. Hi. My name is Diego Rivas, and yeah, I work on innovative ways to strengthen the transatlantic partnership during difficult political times at the German think tank Das Progressive Zentrum. You are listening to our podcast, Talking Progress. This episode was recorded by the Progressive Policy Institute with host Neil Brown. I'm Neil Brown. I'm a managing director at the Progressive Policy Institute. Neil is sitting down with New Urban Progress fellow Maria Willett. Hi, my name is Maria Willett. I am the Chief of Staff for the City of Rochester Hills in Michigan. And Stefan Hake. I'm Stefan Hake. I'm a Senior Consultant for the Public Value Strategy at Dataport or Dataport in German. You know, after traveling with Neil, Maria and Stefan, I'm really excited that they get to share first-hand experiences with you on their trips and what they learned. Now, over to Neil. So uh, we have had the wonderful privilege to travel uh, both in Germany and in the U.S. with a group of about 20 fellows, 10 from the U.S. and 10 from Germany. And uh, our trip last October, we visited Berlin and Leipzig, then went to Essen and Wuppertal. And then uh, just recently, uh, we were in Chicago, Denver, and Austin in the U.S., and looked at, um, got to speak with government officials, city officials, uh, community groups, uh, did some amazing tours of each city, got to know each one pretty well. And I thought we'd kind of talk about some of the common themes and common topics that we covered in each of those places and, and start with one of my favorites from the trip, the transportation. And just uh, uh, some of my observations looking at Cycling, microtransit were uh, really interesting in all those cities. And I, I really want to talk about Wuppertal and the, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mess this up, but it's the Schwabobahn, Schwabobahn? <laughs> Schwabobahn, yes. Schwabobahn, yeah. My, yeah. my only German word I came back from the trip with, uh, which is a public transportation unirail system that it's a hanging train, basically, that runs through the town that was built in the late 1800s uh, to early 1900s and still in service today. So 
anybody who says we can't do big uh, and think big about public transportation, I, I'll point to Wuppertal. It's <laughs> it's a relatively small town that is uh, still doing that. So did you guys have any uh, thoughts about the transportation in the cities we went to? Um, well, yeah, I mean, it was amazing seeing in Berlin, for example, um, you know, one of the great parts about this fellowship is that we got a lot of opportunities to walk and bike throughout different places in Germany. And, you know, being from Michigan, which, you know, Metro Detroit really prides themselves on, you know, the motor city legacy that we have here, mm -hmm. our relationships with bikes and scooters is very, very different. Whereas in Berlin, the bikes have a better relationship with the road than we do here, right? There's a traffic light for the bikes. Cars clearly, um, just from when you're biking out there, they're used to bikes on the road. You feel safe biking on those roads. So it, it was really inspiring to me. We've actually uh, taken that here and we're trying to look to see how we can create more pathways and more opportunities for people to bike in our cities. Um, so it, it was a really great experience and I loved it. Oh, that's great to hear you're bringing bringing that back to the U.S. We need it here. Stefan. Yeah, I mean, that's great to hear, but it also works in the other uh, way. Like, um, I also brought um, some ideas from the U.S. back to Germany, or I guess generally many of those ideas are not, like, really new, but, um, like, the way how they are, like, done in, in the other country is, uh, as PPI would say, radically pragmatic. So it's it's always, like very interesting to look at the way um, yeah different countries just like bringing about those uh, new transportation policies and um, one thing is that it's interesting that Americans um, like you Maria uh, were like quite uh, fond of um, the biking infrastructure we've got in Berlin because uh, in Germany it's always criticized the infrastructure we've got in Berlin particularly even though I guess um, in the last years um, the the city government in Berlin really got on that and things uh, improved and they are still improving so I guess that's good but for us Germans it was also interesting that uh, for example in Austin and Texas which is a really car-friendly state I guess um, there were great um, protected bike lanes for example and that's something which just like started to get to Germany that um, there are these like bumpers so to say that to kind of like protect those bike lanes and uh, I guess that's something that's really useful and uh, also in Austin we saw that there is a, for example an initiative called Rethink 35 which is like um, against making the highway 35 wider basically so um, they were saying yeah if you create more streets or better streets, you create more traffic. Uh, I guess that's something which is known for many years, but still it's uh, it's interesting that in Texas, um, people started uh, these initiatives. And um, yeah, we in Germany still can learn a lot about micromobility and uh, startups in that field as well. Yeah, that, that was uh, really informative on both sides to kind of see and hear from our German friends how uh, they see Berlin as we all marveled at, at the strides we thought Berlin was taking. I mean, to me, it was looking at what is a an amazingly sprawling and huge city that has managed to kind of weave together two completely separate public transportation systems uh, and uh, biking infrastructure to try to make it all work together. It was a uh, 
uh, I mean, obviously a huge project and takes a lot of uh, effort and prioritizing that sort of thing. So uh, that was wonderful for me to see. One of the other issues that was we talked about everywhere was housing and particularly the lack thereof in many places. In the U.S., we saw uh, a lot of unhoused folks in a couple of the cities we went to uh, in Berlin. Uh, we talked with some activists who were fighting to keep uh, their public housing in the community, uh, not have it sold off and turned into commercial housing, which was to me a, a fascinating difference in uh, the way the Germans, or at least Berliners, look at public housing versus how it is seen in the U.S. Uh, these are families that wanted to raise their children there in this community, uh, people that have roots there, have grown up in that place, and wanted to stay there. And in the U.S., public housing is, I think, sometimes intentionally made to be a place where you don't want to be, where you don't want to raise your children, something you want to get out of. So it was a, a very interesting uh, difference in approaches. What What are your thoughts on uh, housing in the two countries and the cities we looked at? Yeah, I mean, uh, generally, I would say that in, in both countries or in many countries around the world, probably we've had this um, change of mindsets and of like paradigms uh, around housing that um, as one of our fellows even wrote an article about, uh, um, he wrote that, you know, in like cities nowadays, um, the city governments have to compete about like new people coming there because due to COVID and um, working from home, it's basically possible to change where you're living. So that's one factor that's really changing the way we have to think about housing. Um, and also generally more and more people are moving to the cities. So um, the cost of living is just like getting up more and more. So as you just mentioned, um, it's it's a real uh, social problem that um, more and more people end up uh, like homeless or can basically can't afford housing anymore. So uh, that was one of the things that was, or basically it was the one thing that was most moving for me on the trip to the US um, when we talked to this one initiative um, that that's dealing with uh, homeless people. And we talked with a lady who said, okay, a couple of years ago, she had lost her home. And um, due to a number of reasons, uh, then we also went to a homeless shelter or like a, a place where um, like quite modern tents were put up. Um, so yeah, it was, it was really important that on those trips, we really dealt with that topic. And for, for us Germans, it was especially interesting that like zoning laws are such a huge topic in the U.S. because uh, the American dream is to live like in a family home uh, <laughs> and not in like huge um, public housing domains. Um, so I guess that was something where, where really things are changing. And then again as you said even for me it was interesting to get to a city like leipzig in the fall last october where um, public housing is working really well uh, because for example berlin made that mistake that they sold off most of their uh, public housing so now they are having problems as well so again mm -hmm. really interesting to see both countries yeah. going off of what stefan said i completely agree about the homelessness panel it was so impactful 
especially since I think three of the people on the panel had been homeless themselves, right? So they could talk from their own personal experience and then bring that insight into the nonprofits that they were working for, which is amazing. So, you know, homelessness is not a <laughs> quick, uh, there's no quick solution to addressing homelessness, but even just to have the opportunity to see how other people were doing it was really, really interesting. I've actually, since we've had the trip, I've seen Evan, um, who is the deputy chief of staff over in Denver, right. and asked him how that trial is going. So one of the things they talked about was that they are currently doing a program where they give um, some initial people who have opted into the program $6,000 lump sum up front, and some other people are getting 2500 in two groups, and some other individuals are getting a monthly $50 stipend. And how does that impact their lives for better or worse and being able to collect that data. Um, just from my talks with Evan, they have not been able to finish it yet. I was just a little too excited <laughs> about getting that information. Uh, but it, it's really interesting to see uh, some of the solutions from across the globe and the country. And, um, you know, it really re-emphasized for me that we need diverse housing options, right? This concept that we have of just having single family homes and consistently building those will not work in the long run. We have to have other options because we're going to run out of land in general. So we need to be more innovative about how we think about future future housing. Yeah, I think it was fascinating to see the difference in uh, like Austin versus uh, Chicago. Uh, Chicago is kind of known for not having a lot of those zoning regulations that we ended up talking about. And we saw uh, at least architecturally and culturally diverse neighborhoods single family homes right next to row houses, right next to a little condo building, and then an apartment building right next to that. So you had that mix that you're talking about, Maria. And right. That was, and, and they are the only U.S. city we talked about that didn't, didn't self-profess to have a serious housing issue. <laughs> and maybe there's something to that. And then, uh, you know, like you said, Denver is doing some really uh, amazing, innovative trials, uh, efforts to try to address some of these uh, and not afraid to uh, try new things, which was was fascinating. Uh, finally, it, it, and to follow on with a related topic, I thought we'd finally talk about uh, public safety, uh, something we covered a lot more in the U.S. than we did in Germany. But uh, we were fortunate enough to speak with almost the entire head of the public safety divisions in Denver uh, the chief of police, someone from the sheriff's department, uh, someone who runs a 911 service there. Uh, it was it was a, an amazing panel they put together for us. And, but it was fascinating. I, I think, Stefan, it was interesting to hear your questions for them coming from Germany and seeing what was going on in some of these U.S. cities. Yeah, definitely. I mean, as you said, uh, I was really curious to, to hear from these people um, that we talked to, um, like how their perspective is on that. And that was really like one of the things that were most interesting for me, because, um, for example, in Denver, where we talked um, to like the local police and other city officials, um, we asked about like the use of, of, um, of startups or other companies and um, public uh, solutions for yeah, public safety, basically. And um, what was interesting to me was, for example, 
that um, the company Palantir, um, which um, used to be based in California, but then Palantir um, moved to Denver because many tech companies uh, moved to Denver or Colorado or other places because I guess one of the reasons is that in, in California and in the Bay Area, uh, prices really went up even more than in uh, Denver. Um, and there are some other reasons as well, but um, they moved there. But Denver is saying, no, we are not using any solutions Palantir is offering. And um, it's like uh, this company that solution, uh, their solutions are like for data analysis. Um, and in Germany, um, there are actually many cities which use um, the solutions uh, Palantir is offering. So for me, that was not what I would have um, expected, that uh, some of the American cities are like quite aware of the critique some people uh, do have about a company like Palantir, whereas in Germany, um, yeah, the public infrastructure is kind of uh, supported by by these uh, companies, and um, that for me, as somebody who's, who's basically working for the for the government in Germany through this uh, IT provider, which is owned by the by the governments of northern Germany, was uh, alarming or shocking in a way because um, when we talk about digital sovereignty, um, I guess it is very important that um, a country like Germany is coming up with its own solutions um, and um, maintaining sovereignty through having its own uh, solutions because uh, something which we haven't talked about yet is like when we came up with this program, the new Urban Progress Fellowship, it was in the era of uh, this former president which name you don't want to uh, mention and uh, so uh, german american um, relations were kind of challenged so the the idea by ppi and uh, das progressive zentrum and others i guess was okay we need to um, support subnational diplomacy which is still important um, so i hope German-American um, relations will remain as, as good as they are at the moment, but nobody knows uh, who the next president is going to be. So uh, I guess, yeah, just to make sure it's always good for a country to have its own solutions. Um, and yeah, so those were all things which we couldn't bring back to Germany and learn from. But in general, it was really fascinating how Denver is really coming up with innovative solutions, like one app where it's possible to not even only like call um, 911 for an ambulance or the police, but now they have the star car, I think it's called, mm -hmm. for people who don't want to like call the police because they just need help. Um, right. That's just uh, like, one example, and I guess, Maria, you also had uh, many things. Yeah. yeah, that was probably almost exactly what I was going to say. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> specifically with, you know, kind of addressing issue, not every issue um, is necessarily a police issue, right? It's working with your social workers, it's collaborating with your counselors, and they've done a phenomenal job of bringing everyone to the table and kind of collaborating in a really unique way that serves their people and creates overall better public safety. Also, um, because I was texting my one of my fire chiefs the entire time the fire chief was speaking, 
it is so interesting as a state that is seen more as a place that people will move because of climate change, being in mm -hmm. a city where they are dealing with climate change every day, right? All the wildfires, uh, all the droughts, um, and that will continue to affect more and more cities as time goes on. But so seeing that experience, but then also um, just as a little tidbit that I was texting my fire chief about, you know, solar panels being a pro problem. I've never thought of solar panels as being a fire safety issue, mm. right? Or having the um, charging batteries in your home as a potential fire safety issue. And just to have that knowledge and to be able to bring it back to our community as people are looking to build their homes and they're working with our building department is super valuable to me. So uh, I want to thank you both. I want to close with one more question to you. And Stefan, you you kind of beat me to the punch here. I wanted to kind of talk about the importance of this transatlantic dialogue that we're, <laughs> we've done here. You know, th this is something that PPI uh, and our other partners in this project believe is incredibly important. And for all those reasons you mentioned, Stefan, and that, that we continue on a personal level, on a city level, uh, to make these contacts to learn from one another. But wanted to hear your thoughts on that and uh, your participation in this project and, and kind of how you see moving forward, both in your career um, and you're both, you're, you're both political actors too, how that helped. Yeah, I think it was an incredible program to be a part of. I feel blessed to have had the opportunity. There were so many different people that were from very different walks of life when it comes to city involvement, right? So I was one of the people that represented kind of a mid-sized to small city in America, but you had people working at the federal level. You had people working in large cities. You had people who weren't really working for a city at all. Maybe they were working for a think tank or they were working for a business that deals with cities in a unique way as far as design and development. So when we went to see a project, to talk about a program, to listen to someone speak, we all looked at it with a different lens. And then we could in real time turn to the person next to us and say, well, what do you think about that? And we could kind of layer those thoughts upon one another and come out of it with a really comprehensive look at, you know, how we could take that home, what we would have done differently. So many different thoughts um, that I brought back to my city. And I think this program is really important because it reemphasizes that we have far more in common um, than we do differently. Even if we're on other parts of the globe, cities everywhere are dealing with the same exact challenges. And when we come together and share our best practices, talk about our challenges, we lift all boats in essence, right? Our cities overall um, can do better. Great. Stefan? Yeah, thank you so much. I mean, uh, I can just like agree with everything Maria said, obviously. And I mean, like meeting you, uh, like the two of you was was amazing. And also meeting the other fellows and those personal connections are always probably the best starting point for better um, yeah, transatlantic relations, basically, because by like, coming up with friendships, um, you can always like improve those relations um and yeah that's crucial because uh, as we were mentioning um it is vital that the transatlantic re relations remain uh in a good shape especially in the moment where we have these uh, geopolitical problems here in europe we have a war going on and um, it is important that europeans in the EU, eu and and the us are kind of uh yeah fighting for for our shared values and i guess these these programs really support those 
values and also just on the city level um, as somebody um, who used to be on a on the city council it's always really great to to see um, how Americans view what we do here in Germany or what uh, Americans do in in uh, in the US basically and um, yeah I think it's been just a pleasure being on this program and I'm already looking forward to um, Mayor Steve Adler visiting Berlin soon and uh, we will or some of us will talk with him about our paper that we wrote um, possibly at some point also with the mayor of Berlin in a separate um, meeting and um, yeah I already tried to implement some of, of the ideas in uh, East Frisia where I'm from uh, where I also tried to come up with like a partnership twinning with a, a international city but these things are always kind of hard to like implement because people say okay uh, we've got other problems and <laughs> that but uh, I mean obviously um, yeah you've got to take care of these uh, things that are kind of more um, on a different level because, um, yeah, without peace, everything else is nothing as well. Well, uh, thank you both for your time. Uh, it was a pleasure talking to you again and hope to see you in person, both of you soon. Uh, I, I want to echo your sentiments about uh, the friendships that we've all uh, fostered on this trip and uh, hopefully we can continue all those. <laughs> You just heard the third episode of Empowering Cities. Did you miss our last two episodes? Our first is on the American Rescue Plan. The second discusses how to finance the climate transformation. You can get them on our website, which is new-urban-progress.org, or wherever you get your podcasts. Empowering Cities is a series on how urban spaces can lead the way in inclusive innovation, sustainability, and social justice. Up next for Empowering Cities, Episode 4, A Blueprint for Urban Progress. By which we derived this NOVA index that, that we'll be talking to you about in the next couple yes, minutes. Yes, I hope, because I have lots of questions. I don't know about you. Um, we had a lot of debate about what criteria the we criteria, would use, it's, we... it's concise, right? We have five criteria. Okay, would an can, index can like this actually help Berlin in thinking about its, its goals? Empowering Cities is part of New Urban Progress, a transatlantic project on the future of cities. This podcast was recorded and produced by PPI, post-production and additional recordings by Emma Gaster from Das Produktive Zentrum, with music by Armin Wallem. My name is Diego Rivas. Thank you for listening today and catch you at the next episode of Talking Progress, the podcast that explores progressive ideas for Germany, Europe, and transatlantic spaces. <laughs>